0: Take your Bibles this morning, if you would, to the book of Revelation chapter 11. Our text is actually in the uh, 15th chapter, but I'm going to back up just a little bit. I want us to read in chapter 11 to begin with because this is really where the action sort of ended in our reading in terms of judgments. Chapters 12, 13, and 14 of the book of Revelation serve as an interlude, an explanatory period Of sort of the great war that was going on between God and Satan throughout the ages. But the trumpet judgments really end in chapter 11, and then the new bold judgments or vile judgments begin in chapter 15. So if you wouldn't stand with me this morning, we'll begin our reading in verse number 14 of that 11th chapter. The trumpet judgments now concluding. The Bible says, and the second woe is past. And that's the trumpet judgments. And behold, the third woe cometh quickly. And this would be the new vile or bold judgments. And the seventh angel sounded, and there was a great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders which sat before God on their seats fell upon their faces and worshiped God saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and which was and which art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and has reigned. And the nations were angry, and thy wrath is come. And the time of the dead, that they should be judged, and they should give us reward unto thy servants and prophets, and to the saints, and them that fear thy name, small and great, and shouldest destroy them, which destroy the earth." And so, the announcement is made that the end is come and God would reign. Now, chapter 15, verse number 1, we'll read the entirety of the chapter. This is where really that scene ends and this scene begins, at least in terms of chronology. So, the kingdoms of God are coming. His wrath is now imminent. And I saw a sign in heaven, great and marvelous. Seven angels having the seven last plagues... For in them is filled up, or is completed, the wrath of God. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire. And them that had gotten the victory over the beast, and over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name. They stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying... Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty, just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. And who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou art, for thou only art holy, for all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. And after that I looked, behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. And the seven angels came out of the temple, having the seven plagues clothed in pure white and, I'm sorry, clothed in pure and white linen, and having their breasts girded with golden girdles. And one of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials full of the wrath of God, who liveth forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God, and from His power, and no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. Our heavenly Father, I pray, the next few moments, as Lord, we consider what John describes as this great and marvelous scene. Lord, the the wrath, the final, complete wrath of God, Lord, revealed and completed. That, Lord, we would understand that this will be a real event in the history of humanity in the days ahead. And, Lord, may we live in light of this coming truth. I ask for your help with this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for standing. I don't watch much news. It's rather discouraging to me. I do endeavor to stay informed, so I would do more reading than watching. But you know, we we watch the news, we consider the events that uh, happen in our world today. When we think about the future, you know, we worry, or I might say people worry, about a great number of things. Our outlook is probably, and, and rightly so, fairly bleak. And we fear that things are going To get worse. That's partly why we have the fascination about the book of Revelation. People worry today about the environment. They worry what's going to become of it and how we are abusing and mistreating the planet that God has given us to steward. People worry about the future and and what will be there for our kids and grandkids one day. They worry about global warming, the effect of these greenhouse gases and methane emanating from our industry and really even our agricultural endeavors ever increasing creating a, a more carbon dioxide rich atmosphere that at least scientifically seems that one day will alter, you know, the environment that we live in. We all of us worry about political unrest. It's so vitriolic and hateful today. The things there seem to be unraveling. Um, we can't really have and find the leaders that we, we really need and we worry about that. We worry about the economy and the instability that we see. I mean, we had a couple of good years there economically, and, and then we've had this crash. And we worry about a recession, and then maybe, you know, a depression if things were really to fall apart, and all the things that could contribute to that. We're concerned about terrorism, the decline of moral values, which are being legislated day by day. We worry about violent crime. And adding to our angst is this anti God philosophy of humanism, Darwinism, and postmodernism that really subtracts all real truth from the world and substitute just the thoughts and philosophy of man. All this creates kind of a degree of despair and hopelessness in the world. And, and, and really, we ought to be filling our hearts with God and, and not all of this hopelessness. I suppose, to be fair, there is a, uh, a fair amount of rationale to some of these concerns. But there was a day when Jesus spoke, and I guess people throughout history have always been concerned about the future and what might happen. And in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus said this. He said, "'And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear Him, which is able to destroy both, destroy both soul and body in hell.'" I don't know what the future is going to hold in terms of this world, its environment, and the economy, but I do know this. If you think it's bad, a worse day is, in fact, coming. But for people like us who know the Lord, or at least I can say for those who have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, we ought not fear what's going to come. Because we know our end and our hope is sure, and one day you and I are going to live on this planet again, but made new and renewed. In in this glorious millennial kingdom, and then into eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. If there's any fear in our hearts, it ought to be the fear of standing before God one day. What is truly frightening, the Bible says, is to fall into the hands of the living God, unprepared. Now that is terrifying. God's final judgment, and I say this with all authority, God's final judgment is looming just over the horizon of human history. It is coming. And it awaits anyone in death who has not yet trusted Christ. In the Bible, God's wrath, which is the subject of chapter 15, is a constant variable, a constant theme All throughout the Word of God. Yes, absolutely, unequivocally, our God is a God of love. He is a God of grace. He is a God of unbelievable, unimaginable mercy. He is long-suffering towards us today. He's full of kindness and goodness, and He desires, it is His heart, and He has made provision that none should perish in death or in life but rather be the recipients of eternal life through the provision of His Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. But with that said, our God is a holy God. He is absolute righteousness. He is unequivocally good. And He despises and He hates and He can't even look upon, by His nature or character, upon the evil and sin in our hearts and on this world. He is holy. He is offended by our sin and the violations of His created order. It is an insult to His grace when we as humans reject His offer of salvation. And for all those who reject that I would say, the day of the Lord is at hand. It is mentioned repeatedly in the Scriptures at the time when God will come and pour out His wrath upon his, with His hatred. On all that is sinful and all that is wrong and all that is broken and all that is vile and all that is distorted, His creation. It is an unimaginably terrifying event that is coming. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 13, beginning verse 6, the Old Testament prophet described the coming judgment of God this way He says, How ye, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as a destruction from the Almighty. Therefore shall all hands be faint, and every man's heart shall melt. And they shall be afraid, and have pangs of sorrow, and that shall overtake them. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh cruel, both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he shall destroy sinners out of it. And I will punish the world for their evil, and the wickedness And their iniquity. Therefore, I will shake the heavens and the earth, and the earth shall be removed out of her place in the wrath of the Lord of hosts in the day of his fierce anger. Now, put that on the news today and see what happens. This is our future in our lifetime? I don't know, but it is in the future, if not my life, my, maybe my kid's life, maybe my grandkids' life. It, it, this could begin through the rapture tomorrow. I, I don't know, but I am telling you that this day of God's fierce wrath is coming. And again, it will be an incredibly fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Chapters 15 and 16 close the interlude. Uh, that we went through in chapters 12, 13, and 14, which were uh, descriptions of this war in heaven with Satan. And chapter 15 brings us back to the actual events of this time we called the Great Tribulation, a seven-year time uh, coming in human history of Jewish time once again, when God will work miraculously through the nation of Israel and bring all things to conclusion, and Antichrist will rise and deceive the world, inspired by Satan, and then ultimately it will be concluded with God's wrath and the destruction of this planet and a new one made in the future. It brings us again to the wrath of God, which has been ongoing in the uh, sealed judgments and in the trumpet judgments, but now quickly, in rapid-fire staccato fashion, these unimaginably more difficult, bold judgments. God's wrath and tribulation has been meted out in a series of three judgments— each containing seven cataclysmic events we've been through now 13 or 14 of those in those first the first woe of the seal judgment the second woe of the trumpet judgments and now the third woe the most severe in these bold judgments and this is the end of the reign of the antichrist in this sinful world the time of reprieve is over. The 144,000, the time of witnessing is done. The two witnesses, they witnessed for a time and it's, they're now done. The angels in the sky have pronounced the, last, the gospel for the last time. And then two after that pronounce judgment. And that's all that's left for this world. There's no reprieve. On the world there's no more grace. And there's no time left. John describes for us this third time, another sign in heaven. And each time he sees a sign in heaven, it initiates one of the woes or these series of seven judgments. And John sees a, th- a third sign in heaven. And now this third sign described as great and marvelous. These words in the Greek are the greatest of the most pronounced that John has at his disposal to describe something that's beyond words, beyond description, that's unimaginable that's awesome and wonderful and terrible, that's beautiful and horrifying. It's great and marvelous. It's exceedingly ominous. And John tries in words to convey what he sees with his eyes. John sees the, the last of what he describes as plagues. In this world, and I'll get this a moment, is, is to remind us of God's judgment on Egypt. Pharaoh in Egypt, Egypt ever been a type of the world, Pharaoh was a type of the Antichrist, a people who held a nation and and, and a leader who held God's people in judgment. God judged them through great woes or judgments or, as the Bible says in Exodus, uh, these idea, plagues. But the word itself actually means severe blows. It means great calamities. John sees seven unimaginable, uh, ominous calamities coming. John has witnessed these last events of human history that will be outpoured upon the world, and they will really bring the consummation, the completeness of God's wrath. It's been coming for some time now, since the beginning of the tribulation through these these series of judgments, And, and now this is really the culmination of all God's angst against the sin of this world coming in these seven judgments. It's contained. Um, in these, what the text calls vials, it's bowls. It's the idea of, the, of a shallow container, not something that's poured out a little bit of time, but something that's just dumped all at once, is the idea. And this, this, this bowl was, um, this is interesting for those who are looking for maybe some deeper meaning, but the bowls here were used in the Old Testament as a type of uh, holder of incense and offering to the Lord. And they were, these bowls were taken before the altar and, and then offered there. So, these bowls were offered in prayers. And I've already discussed last week that what's happening here at the very end is all the, the people saved during the tribulation stand here on the sea of glass, which I'll get to in a moment, and for some time they've been praying to God for vindication. They've been praying for God to make things right. And really, we've been praying for years, oh Lord, come quickly. And all these prayers are being answered if you will, in these judgments upon the earth, because once those are concluded, then Christ can and will come. So we have, once again, kind of like our participation in God's final judgment, and our prayers being answered through these great bowl and vile judgments that are being now taken out of the temple. The contents of these bowls, uh, of course, having the wrath of God now. So, in part we are seeing the prayers of the saints answered for God's own justice and recompense and vindication for us. And these bowls are being carried out of the heavenly temple, out of the very throne room of God itself by seven angels. Now, were these the seven angels that we have seen before? I I don't know, but these are seven great majestic creatures carrying out this. I, I find it interesting for the course of humanity. God sent ministering angels to attend to us, and now they are, are instruments of judgment for those who know not God. And these creatures are now carrying these bowls of power that are far greater than themselves. They are carrying the wrath of God. And they're proceeding out of the temple, and we see in verse 6, they're coming from the direct presence of God. And that's sort of what's indicative here i got a string coming. I'm going to pull that off because that's annoying me. <laughs> All right. Maybe I'm going to have to sew that on later because I just ripped it off. And we have these angels coming out. And the Bible specific. They're dressed in white linen. And the idea of golden girdles is a, is a breastplate. And this was the same kind of garb that the, uh, the priest would have worn in the temple in the service of God. So, there's certainly kind of a priestly function here, if you will. They've just been standing before God. They've received from Him, uh, really through the, the hands of one of these living, four great living creatures. We call them cherubim or seraphim. And he receives from God that way, this wrath upon men. They were given these bowls of wrath by one of the seraphim, the great four living creatures. And as the angels proceed out of the temple... And this is something we'd see again, it reminiscences of back to the days of Moses, Moses. these angels walk out, and, and I, I don't know how these would look, they have these bowls of judgment, and as they exit the temple, the temple, this is the place where God is, just, it just begins to fill with smoke. It's a dark smoke, it's a thick smoke, it's an ominous smoke. It's the same smoke that terrified the children of Israel on the mount there with Moses, and, 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 and so present is God in the temple now, and, and so full of wrath that the Bible tells in the text that no man, and here we talk about even redeemed man, or any living creature when the angels and the seraphim themselves could not enter the temple until God's wrath was complete. And judgment's coming. Now this is occurring, and something else simultaneously is happening. John sees in verse 2, in the larger court of God, you know, picture this is the temple and all these angels walking out here and it's filling with smoke, and but the larger court of God, there's a sea of glass. This is described for us in Revelation 5, Moses saw the sea of glass. It's a transparent, uh, beautiful platform. As far as the eye can see, and it's translucent, and it looks like it's on fire. And John sees the sea of glass. And uh, this, is the, this is the throne room of God, the emerald rainbow, the flashings of lightning and thunders. The, the magnificence of the elders, 24 elder, or the 24 elders and the, these living creatures and the angels present. it's a place of incredible wonder that John sees. And assembled there in those final moments, in the midst of all of that, are all the souls of those who were slain, martyred, and persecuted in the tribulation. And all those who suffered at the hands of the Antichrist. All those who held fast their profession of faith in humanity's darkest hour and most difficult experiences that are imaginable. But here the text says. Though martyrs, they are all victorious. The pain and suffering, and death were before a moment, but that death ushered them into eternity, where now they are claimed victorious, and now they are reigning with Christ, and will return with Him, in in the not too distant future upon white horses, upon this world. I want you to imagine this scene, because these people now begin to sing. Um, when our choir sings, I, I just think that's one of, the most, it's my, one of my most favorite moments in our services. I don't know how many people up here, 70 or whatever else, singing. And they sing like they mean it, they sing with some conviction. As Daniel said, administer to us. Can you imagine this vast army of victorious saints as they begin to sing? Incredible. And the Bible tells us that they sing the song of Moses. Now this song is recorded for us in Exodus 15. And you don't need to turn there but I'm going to read a part of this to you because this is really again a type of what is about to happen. God judged um, through Moses and his staff Egypt. And and now the people on the other side, the Red Sea are victorious. Here are people standing on the, the Crystal Sea on the other side of the Antichrist being victorious. And so he instructs them to sing Moses' song. And then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song to the Lord, and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare him in habitation. My father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war, the Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host hath he cast into the sea. he has chosen captains also are drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them, and they sank into the bottom as a stone. Thy right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in thy power. Now, all this is a vision of Christ's future coming. It's imminent. The same kind of activity is about to occur before these witnesses on this earth. And in the greatness of thine ecstasy, thou hast overthrown them that rose up against thee. Then Pharaoh, now the Antichrist. Thou sendest forth thy wrath, which has consumed them as stubble. It happened then, it's about to happen now. And with the blast of thy nostrils, the waters were gathered together. And the flood stood upright as a heap. And the depths were congealed in the heart of the sea. And God destroyed Egypt with the seven plagues. And of course, the great ocean upon them, and, and now the seven plagues. In the Revelation, the enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake. This has been the spirit of Antichrist. I will divide the spoil. My lust shall be satisfied upon them. I will draw my sword and my hand shall destroy them. But God, thou didst blow with thy wind and the sea covered them. So they sing this song, (laughs) knowing Old Testament history, And knowing that God is about to do the same thing upon the Antichrist in this world in an incredibly more pronounced way. It's a song of deliverance. People on one side of the Red Sea singing it, and now people on the Crystal Sea singing it. It's amazing. In the same way God has now consumed, is about to consume, the Antichrist, the host of demons, and the sinful men left upon the world. But those saved from it rejoice and praise God in His temple." In verses 3 and 4, they really kind of fast for us into the imminent millennial reign and describe humanity's future um, and uh, God's coming, and he will, be, he will be praised and He will be uh, the leader of the nations. And in that day, you know that this was written, uh, they needed that encouragement. Now remember the book of Revelation was written in context in John's day, 100 A.D., thereabouts, to seven different churches. They were the churches of Asia Minor. They had their own, if you will, antichrist of their day. It was Nero, Domitian, the emperors of Rome. And there was the imperial cult worship. And While they didn't necessarily have to receive a mark or a branding that day, they did have to pay homage to the beast, if you will, the Antichrist, and any failure to do so would cost them economically and maybe even cost them their life. And so the Lord is saying there's been a day like that in the past with with Pharaoh. There's going to be a day like that in the future with the Antichrist. And for your part today, you seven churches, you hold fast your profession because I will be your deliverer and Savior as well. And you will be here after death with me. God is encouraging these people and their future. Now today, you and I are not being forced into similar decisions of loyalty. I'm not being asked to receive the mark of the beast upon my hand. I'm not asking to be engaged, to engage in emperor or cult worship. But that does not mean we are not tempted to be disloyal in more subtle ways. Today, um, as I have tried to say repeatedly, we are still, every choice we make expresses our citizenship, the kingdom we are from. Are we part of the kingdom of light and righteousness or are we part of the kingdom of darkness? And today we need to be exceedingly careful that the way we express our citizenship our loyalty is, uh, is clear to see. Peter knew about John. He understood some of the same thing could befall the world one day. And so he gives this incredible description of the world being dissolving one day. Really, this is post-tribulation when the elements themselves will be ripped apart in a fervent heat. The whole idea is that God is coming in wrath and judgment. And so Peter sums it this way: seen that these all things shall be dissolved in God's judgment. Peter would come out of chapter 15, he would look at these events, and he would say this to you and to me, seeing this is coming, what manner of men should you be? Any thoughtful, wise person makes preparation for a future that is imminent. I'm 58, soon to be 59. That's one year more from 60. It's 11 and a half from 70. (laughs) It's coming. Time and gravity, you can't stop them. I think about it. I think about it. And I make preparations, different kinds of preparations. I Try to put money away in preparation. I'm trying to live with my family and you in a way that when I get there, no regrets. Um, a wise man foreseeth for, foresee the evil. You know, he makes provision for that, the Bible says, what he should. There's a thousand ways that you and I wisely make preparation for the future. But if this is humanity's future, if this is it, and this is this is the same future for all of us. This is coming. We all live on the same planet. We all live in this sinful world. What manner of person should you be? The world's going to be dissolved in a fervent heat. The place you live on is going to be destroyed one day. The plagues, the seven bulges, must I'm, I'm, be described in chapter sixteen. They are awful and horrendous. And you say, well, I'm not going to be there for that. I'm saved. You're right. If you're saved, you won't be there for that. But if you're not saved, you know, I, I, I don't know the timing of these things. In the Greek, that word manner is very interesting. Um, it means sorts or kind, as you would expect it to mean. But it means something more than that. Uh, it's ultimate etymology means... From what country are you from? Whose citizen are you? So seeing that God's wrath is coming, whose kingdom do you belong to? Doesn't that seem to be a really intelligent question? You with me? If the world's going to end this way, well, what sort of person, Whose? Where's your citizenship belong? What kingdom are you part of? Because if you're not in God's kingdom, this is what's coming for us. And if not in this world, and then in death for those who'd be unsaved. From where do you come from? Can Can I, this is such simple preaching. Let me tell you what sort of person you need to be. You need to be a forgiven person. You need to be a redeemed person you need to be someone who has been touched by the blood of Christ. The text says there's two songs that were sung. One's the Song of Moses, but there's another song called the Song of the Lamb. And it goes like this, And they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and open the seals thereof. For Thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by Thy blood. Out of every kindred, every tongue, every people, and every nation." You see, they sang because they were being physically delivered at the time of tribulation, but they also were singing, more importantly, because they had been delivered spiritually. They had been forgiven. They they had come to the Lord Jesus Christ in grace and forgiveness, realizing that the wrath of God had already fallen upon their sins on the cross. Can I say to you, all sin is going to be judged. All of it. All sin will be judged. The sin of this evil world, the sin of the Antichrist, the sin of the host of of all the evil ones there, and listen, the sin of my heart, the sin of your heart is going to all be equally judged. All of it. The difference is, where will it be judged? Where will your sin receive and be recipient of the wrath of God? Because the wrath of God is coming on all unrighteousness including yours. And it would be a horrifying terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God with my sin. You see what the cross is all about is the Lord Jesus Christ came and lived a sinless life and he offered us his righteousness. But on the cross he He took God's wrath for me, for it pleased the Lord to bruise Him, Isaiah." What was the cross about? Well, the physical part of it was just like this. The spiritual part of it was like this. See, on the cross that's where my sins found judgment. Jesus Christ took my hell, my wrath of God. Theologically, the fury and the wrath of God, fell on the Lord Jesus Christ for me." And that's where my judgment was dealt with. See, I, I, when I die or get raptured, I, I just get to go to the Bema seat. That's just play for we, we're rewarded for the things done in the body. Because my judgment it has been dealt with. It was dealt with there. If you could get any handle on that, it would change your life. take your Bibles to Revelation chapter 20. At the conclusion of these horrific events we'll describe next week, In the wrath of God's outpouring upon this planet, individual sin will be dealt with. Verse 11, chapter 20. And I saw a great white throne, and Him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away. It's just amazing. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, swollen great, stand before God and the books were opened and an angel and another book was opened, which is in the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those sayings which were written in the books according to their works. <laughs> okay. For anybody who is hoping that your works will get you to heaven, it ain't going to work. Forgive the grammar. One violation in life is a mark against all. One trespass, guilty. There's no way to ever tilt the scales to righteousness apart from the blood of Christ because that's imputed righteousness. It's not your own. And the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and hell were delivered up were delivered up, the dead that were in them, And they were judged every man according to their works. And then this. And then death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. And this is the second death. This is spiritual death. This is eternal, ongoing, never to be reprieved death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life Whoever chose not to have their sins judged on the cross, for all those who procrastinated, for all those who alienated God, all those who marginalized God, all those who thought they could live without Him, all those who thought they would choose something else than God. Well, the Bible says their names won't be written in the book of life, and they're going to be cast into the lake of hell. All sin will be judged. I'm not trying to be redundant, but Hebrews 10, once again, it is a horrible, terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God. God's wrath is coming. It's imminent. It's unstoppable. God will be fierce in His righteousness and indignation upon sin. He is also God of infinite love, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. I don't know, I want you to look up here, I'm, I'm almost finished. I don't know what's going to happen to this world in my lifetime. I, I don't know about global warming. I don't know if the economy is going to crash. I, I, I don't know what kind of destruction our politicians are going to you know, rest for us. I'm going to imagine things are going to grow worse and worse. this I know, the Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is longsuffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. And He goes on to say, because the day of the Lord is at hand. I want to ask this question this morning, what manner of person are you? I'm not asking you today if you're a good person or a bad person. All our righteousness is as filthy rags. So we're all kind of the same there. I'm asking you, where do you belong? Where's your home? Whose citizen are you? Which judgment are you going to stand at? You're going to stand in judgment. You say say that pretty matter-of-factly. It's the Word of God. It's matter-of-fact your sins are going to be judged, period. They can be judged there, or they can be judged in the apocalypse at the end of it, the great white throne.